We don't need any more engineers. We didn't run out of TV screens or planes. We ran out of podcasts. So, in spirit of discovery here today on Into the Black Hole, I mean Through the Lens, we will be actually discussing in depth the hit Christopher Nolan movie Interstellar. And of course, we're welcoming back movie fan Josh Wilbur for this very special episode of Through the Lens. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the show yet again, Josh, after uh, last week's Dune discussion. And when we discovered you hadn't seen Interstellar, I don't think Davis and I could resist. As we've talked about this movie, I would say on at least 10 of our episodes, at some point or another it has come up, last week's included. And we just finally wanted to do what will be the most in-depth discussion of probably any movie we've had so far due to the fact that we know so much about it and have seen it so, so many times. That's why we'll be talking about Interstellar, Christopher Nolan's 2014 movie starring a host of characters that are going out to save a the cavalcade of yes, characters. Yes, that's, that's a very good word, very good word. But first, as always, we got to start off with some movie news, and quite a bit this week, actually. A lot less dry compared to last... Or a lot... Yes, compared to last week. First and foremost, Matt Damon and Robert Downey Jr. are both in talks to join Nolan's next film, Oppenheimer. The cast already includes Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt. I'm very excited for this movie already. I like the concept. I already like the cast. Now it's growing. Nolan's movies always seem to have hit cast, and this seems like it's going to be no different. What yeah, do you guys think? That makes sense for him. Um, I'm I'm here for this movie just because Oppenheimer is, is very interesting. Um, but this cast is just, it's going to get bigger. Like, this is just the start. This is the first th- yeah, four. four people. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, I heard Emily Blunt was just in talks. So I'm not sure how confirmed she is. But Matt Damon and RDJ are massive yeah absolutely this is just gonna get bigger not to mention again uh this would be robert downey jr's first film with nolan as far as i know yes and this would be damon's second yeah and his yeah, first being movie we were discussing today. yes exactly interstellar but he he was like basically not promoted we'll get to that uh yeah. later on but yeah i i'm very excited for it. i've always again i like the concept i read the robert oppenheimer book when i was in like seventh grade <laughs> what just think about the stories you on the plane. Oh yeah, again. carrying a book that said the bomb on an airplane. Oh, I was no. I was very worried they were gonna stop me. I was like, I swear it's not about building one. Well, technically, well, okay, technically it is about building one, but never mind. Anyway, but I'm very excited for it, and I think it's gonna be really awesome. Even if they don't get all four of those people, like I think first of all, I think they will because he, Nolan doesn't really have a history of failing to get people. He can draw people so easily, and like he even got Killian Murphy for Batman Begins. It was like actually you're not good enough, and just made him be another character entirely, which still yeah. worked out great. So I, I imagine all four of these guys are going to sign on. I couldn't imagine why they yeah. wouldn't at that point. And then on other very exciting casting news, Chris Pratt will voice Garfield in the Garfield movie. This is not exciting casting. Why are news. they? Why are they? Why are they making? I saw somebody say they're trying to make Chris Pratt the next Jack Black, and a no, true words have never been spoken because one, I mean, Jack Black was a very, a very popular voice actor yeah. from like 2008 to like 2013, I would say, and I wouldn't say Chris Pratt. I mean. Lego I like movie. Pratt. I like the Lego movie, but like I, love I, Lego movie, I don't. But I don't like Chris Pratt as as the essentially as everyone. Just, He's just as everyone. E- now. Exactly. Not to mention, honestly, as bad as the original Garfield movies are, which they're terrible. Make no mistake yeah. about it. I would say, I really will not be able to visualize this without hearing Bill Murray. I had fun as, with the Bill Murray ones. I, okay, they're they're kid. fun in a kind of. I mean, we watched. I watched it with my friends a few weeks ago. Why? It's bad. <laughs> Like, the animation, the one thing they did, guys, they got his shadow correct. And that was like, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Too bad he looks like he's made out of Play-Doh or whatever. That's terrible. Um, yeah, I, I, I want him to stop being in things. Yeah. 
It's it's uh, I feel like lazy casting. They're just casting because yeah, it's just Chris a dude. Pratt, yeah. it, like his voice acting talent is not next level. He's not some very comedic draw to be honest. No. Like like Bill Murray to Garfield. People like Bill Murray. I don't yeah. know. I don't. I guess Chris Pratt has that. People draw. like Chris Pratt. He's a name that people know, and I'm happy for people that like him. I think he's fine. He's a fine actor. I don't care about him as Garfield at all. That's that is exactly how I would describe it as well. And moving along, we've got a few uh, bits of news to go through here. Morbius had its second trailer. This starring Jared Leto as Michael Morbius, who becomes a vampire. I don't really know much about the Morbius lore. I'm not gonna lie. I don't either. But. The only real drawing point He's for a this is vampire. yes. The only the only really big drawing point of this is the establishment of the multiverse, where Michael Keaton's Vulture from Spider-Man: Homecoming is in the movie. He's been in both trailers. Uh, newspapers have mentioned Rhino as well as the Black Cat, as well as a poster with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man suit swinging through the air. So that's really the intrigue that it's built on, because the movie itself. It feels like Venom, and if you liked the Venom movies, you're going to like this movie. But if you didn't like Venom, because I, I have not seen Venom, I was not very interested in it. It feels very similar vibe, very dark. very Well, dark, like a dark comedy, really. That's how I would describe it. And, I mean, the I Am Venom line at the end of the trailer was kind of funny, because it's like, ah, it's self-aware. That's great. And But then, I don't know. Did you guys see the trailer at all? Davis, what did you think? Uh, I mean, I didn't... I mean, like, I, I kind of watched it, but... I, I, Obviously, you don't know what universe is going to be in this, the Morbius movie. True. It's going to be interesting. What if it's all of them? It's setting up after, after No Way Sp- Home. After No Way Home. That's a very interesting question. I think that's actually- I don't want Morbius in the MCU, though. I don't even I don't even care about the MCU, to be honest. I the MCU. don't want Jared Leto in the MCU. Hey, hey, Jared Leto's not such a bad guy. He's he was, fine. He was in Dallas Buyers Club. It was cool. Um, He's but fine. Building off of that, Davis, they also just released the new poster for Spider-Man No Way Home, which is really currently blowing up because of the fact that, in my opinion, one of the strangest poster concepts I've ever seen in the fact that the gimmick is playing essentially Where's Waldo with the other characters that are possibly in this movie because the Green Goblin is in the top right, which honestly, like, I get that they're trying to make him look in the in the distance, but it honestly looks like they just put him in the background and then colored him blue instead yeah. of act, like it's very. I think that's honestly poor execution. The electro lightning, his yellow lightning, which is from the comic books, not the blue one from the Amazing Spider-Man. There's some dust in the background that looks like the Sandman. Obviously, Doc Ock is right there, front and center, with Tom Holland's Peter Parker. No other Spider-Man present yet. Yeah. But I think it's a given that they will be. It's a given, but I think they won't say a word about mm, it until yeah. the movie. I hope not. I'm fine with that. I want to be a new trailer at the some theater. point. And yeah. People are saying they'll put them in the new trailer. They won't. They won't put I, them I mean, the I, I don't think they will because they know this movie doesn't need any added selling power because the theories alone will sell it. You don't exactly. need to put them. Like, people are going to, I'm going to go to see if he's there, yeah. honestly. And if he's not, I'll be disappointed, but they'll still make their money. So, yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. This poster's, I've never really seen anyone quite like that before normally it's just here's all of our characters look at them instead of i guess i, I guess that's always, the point this is always better than what marvel does where they just put all the faces in the middle and just have them looking longingly into the distance i will take this anyway. davis hates the floating heads as I well hate them. i'm a big poster fan and i uh, marvel posters are the bane of my existence marvel they're terrible they're lazy minimalist posters are the bane of my existence i will take a minimalist poster every once in a while it depends. But it like, has to be really good. Other times, it's like you have to have seen the movie. It's just like there's a, a infamous Shawshank when it's like the the rock hammer and like a book. Really? It's terrible. And I, it yeah, doesn't my, tell you anything about it. You yeah. Like if you have to have seen the movie 
to like the poster is not a good poster. I will yeah. say there are a lot of bad fan-made minimalist posters out oh, there. Sure. Like I think there was there was a series of Pirates of the Caribbean's one where one is just like a coin. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like you would have no idea. And I'm like that's amazing. Yeah. I have no idea what that means. And I I've seen the movies a million times, but I, like that's just it was bad. So yeah, this is just a new version I would say because I've again I've never seen anything really done like this. I I don't think I like it to be honest. It looks it seems just kind of lazy like they're like all right We've got our ten things. Let's put it in one put it in one big Photoshop project and just submit it. And they were like, "All right, put that there." Quick, just like the the Green Goblin one is the worst of it all, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it's not. Why not just put his bomb like down in the left? I mean, we know we already saw that in the trailer. But why not? It looks like they, it they just like cut him out of the original Spider-Man movie and then just shrunk him down and put him in the background. Exactly. Like, yeah. It like it's it, it honestly is so. I mean, I think it's really just lazy. I think you could have done a lot more creativity with the pile of stuff that he's on. Yeah. Because right now it. Maybe there is something that I'm missing, but it just looks like a pile yeah. of stuff. Could have done something. Makes me, eh. Marvel keeps t- catching some L's. Also, trailer for The Power of the Dog, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith-McPhee. Um, this movie, I know you said you were excited for it. You said Very, it beforehand. Yes. This trailer made... I- I was like, oh, the cast really cool, but like, I don't know what the movie's about from the trailer. I get that's the point, yeah. right? Most mo- most trailers don't want to give it away, but like, Benedict Cumberbatch seems like the bad guy, but then he's also mentoring the guy that he's bullying, and like, then sometimes he's a f- people are really afraid of him, but then he's like taking the guy under his wing. I'm like, okay, wh- yeah. Do you have any idea what's going on? I don't know a whole lot about the story. Fair. I've tried to avoid everything I can about this the movie, except for like casting and all that, but. I'm excited for it on a, I think it's just going to give us a really great Benedict Cumberbatch performance, true, something true. we've never seen from him. He Whoa. looks like he's playing a villain. Oh, I thought I thought you meant never seen a great performance from him. No, I was, like, no, no, I was no. like, wow, that's, Listen, that's certainly a bold no, take. No, I've, no, that I've seen sense. some of Sherlock. He's good in Sherlock. And Imitation yeah. Game, he's pretty good in That's Imitation true, that's game. true. Okay, yeah, but anyway. But this looks like something different. I've seen uh, Jane Campion's the director of it. Um, she directed The Piano, which came out in 93, I believe. Oh, that was the movie with, um, oh, I know I know the name of the actress. She, like, won an Oscar. It's for Holly Hunter. Yes, yeah. it was. Right. Okay. Um, so that came out the same year as Schindler's List. And ah, not going to win against that. It's not going to win. And pro- arguably my hottest take, I like it more than Schindler's List. Whoa. So, Davis, you, hear, you hearing that? Uh-oh. What Davis, the, the Piano. piano. Starring Holly Hunter. You, I, Holly yeah, Hunter. I've only seen it on Harvey Instagram. Harvey in it. I've only seen it on Instagram posts. Like, I've never actually seen anything it's, about it. It's the movie. worth a watch. It's a yeah. really good movie. Interesting. Um, but her, her direction's just very different. Um, so I think Power of the Dog, it's not going to be for everyone at all. I don't think it will be an audience-friendly movie, period. But I think we're going to get something very different with it. Very cerebral for a Western. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I, I think so. I mean, it's going to be straight to Netflix as well, which yes. will make it very easy to watch. And um, moving on to the la- last bit of news, we've got – I will say that's a good point about uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch thing, though, because I was remembering even in 12 Years a Slave, he's like the one – do you remember that, Davis? He was like the slave owner that was like – you don't want to say decent, but you're like, why Why do I almost he's not – not a di- villain. Yeah, you, why do you almost not hate him even though they're all awful people is the whole moral, moral of this, that story at least. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. I, I I definitely will be watching it at some point, just because the cast so so top tier. Now, onto a sequel that is like twenty years in the making. Boondock Saints three is happening, starring the original actors Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery. 
I've only seen the original. Apparently, the sequel is garbage. I don't know what to think about this. My brother will probably be very excited, but if you haven't seen the first movie, it's actually really, really good. It's like, I don't know. It's just very different than any movie I've ever seen before. I've only ever seen it one time, at least as far as I can remember. But Boondock Saints 3, looking forward to at least a trailer to know if it's going to be good or bad. Maybe. And also, Warner Brothers has released an official synopsis for The Batman. I'll just go ahead and read it right here. Quote, The Batman is an edgy, action-packed thriller that depicts Batman in his early years, struggling to balance rage with righteousness as he investigates a disturbing mystery that has terrorized Gotham. Robert Pattinson delivers a raw, intense portrayal of Batman as a disillusioned, desperate vigilante awakened by the realization that the anger consuming him makes him (coughs) no better than the ruthless serial killer he's hunting. So, pretty much what we all thought it was going to be, I feel like. That's about what I assumed from You know, I, I wrote a mock-up thing, and that's exactly, it's literally word for word. I stole that's, mine. That, that's funny, Davis. I, I'm not saying, I, I'm yeah, not I, saying I, I don't believe you, but I don't think you'd ever use the word edgy. That's my, that was the one thing I was like, come on now, y'all. Don't, don't say edgy in your synopsis. I use dark and brooding nobody, nobody, Nobody actually uses that word in an unironic sense. At least I haven't. I but, mean, the movie will be edgy. And just, that's a given. And just, it will be edgy. That's fair. So... I guess it's being honest. It fits technically, but still, yeah. I, I've never. I was like, "Oh, come on!" But yeah, that's pretty much what we expected it to be. I feel like, yeah, like that pretty much checks out for what we've seen from the trailers and what the movie's probably going to be about. Year one, Batman, Batman learning the ropes. I've heard recent rumors that the final climactic fight scene will be essentially where they lay the groundwork for, "Hey, Batman's not going to kill anybody yet because he hasn't really figured that out to that okay. point." So, which I think is cool because. No movies really delved into that lately. Yeah, like the Batman versus Superman and Ben Affleck's Batman sort of kind of it looks jumps like he's around some it. People, you know, but he like jumps around the actual yeah. issue and like Jeremy Irons Alfred clearly states that he has an issue with, but there's never talked about it further. Yeah. And in the Dark Knight, he's like, "What if I cop out, kill Liam Neeson right now without actually saving him?" I'm like that's uh, that's a bit. And then he just uses that for the entire three yeah. movie. I'm and I I don't even think any of the '90s Batman's did it either. So I'm kind of I think it's a refreshing take because the cartoons and the comic books have always talked about it, but this finally we're getting a live action movie about yeah. it. But oh, and, and the last bit of news: uh, Stranger Things released a trailer called "Writing Mike" or "Calling Mike," I think is what they officially called it for season four, which will be taking place during spring break. Though they don't know when it will release it. If it'll be next spring break or the following spring break, they tend to line up with whatever holiday they're depicting. I'm painfully excited for this because I really like the show, but it's like almost difficult to because I watch a season, then I have to wait three years, then I have to watch a season again and wait, and back and forth I go. I've but, always been a little... Like, I loved the first season mm-hmm. when it came out, and two and three, I, I like them. I think they're good. I love the discussion around the show. I love that everyone gets super excited about Stranger Things, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's, but, it's a certain phenomenon that I don't think we've really experienced exactly. much of. Like, I mean, the, comparatively, like... Shows in, like Friends in the 90s were as big, and there really isn't anything in the modern day that has been. Exactly. I feel like. There have been shows that have had smaller discussions around them, um, smaller shows, but there isn't really a show out there right now, now that like something like Game of Thrones is over, that is as big. And as such a mass things. general audience. Exactly. I would agree. I would agree. And I, I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to it just because I always like how they've expanded yeah. The lore each year from just one random monster to this huge thing to just bigger and bigger. Yeah. This one's going to be even crazier, I'm sure. The world's going to blow up in this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, they can't do that because this is Netflix's big cash cows. So they're just going to have... The, plus, you got to get season five where they're all 38-year-old stay-at-home parents. It'll be gonna, an It Chapter 2 thing where they jump forward in time. And, and it won't be jumping forward. They'll just wait. They'll, they'll, just, just wait. they'll just wait. They'll sit here and wait a second. Um... 
that's the last of the news, so now it's time to move on. Davis, I can tell you're excited just by the expression on your face. I'm excited as well. We're going to talk about Interstellar, the movie directed by Christopher Nolan, going through, as we mentioned earlier, the A-list cast. Matthew McConaughey starring as Joseph Cooper, though I don't recall anybody they, ever saying his first name. They don't ever say his first name. His first name is not mentioned. That's a Nolan like pattern, it feels like. Cause in Inception, in, I don't think they ever say his first and in, name. And in Tenet, and Dunkirk, one of them is literally the protagonist. the protagonist. In Dunkirk, you know another none of I'm about to say yeah. Dunkirk, they're all, they're all nameless. I kind of like that. It's unique. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I think it's, it's funny to make that we you, be to make that you identify with your character yep. more. Anne Hathaway as Dr. Amelia Brand, a NASA scientist and astronaut. Jessica Chastain as Murphy Cooper, with also Murphy featuring or getting three different actresses. You got Mackenzie Foy as young Murphy from early in the movie, and Ellen Bernstein as old Murphy that we see at the very end at the beginning, actually. We'll talk about that. John Lithgow as Donald, Cooper's elder father-in-law and the grandfather to Murphy Cooper and Tom Cooper. Michael Caine as Professor John Brand, the father of Anne Hathaway's Amelia Brand. David Giyasi as Romley. I'm just going to guess that's how you're supposed to say it. I must admit, I don't know how. Uh, Romley, if, one of the... Uh, the black hole No, stop, 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 stop it. Um, as the high-ranking NASA member and endurance crew member. Wes Bentley as Doyle, high-ranking NASA member and also endurance crew member. Casey Affleck, Davis's favorite person, as Tom Cooper. I want to say favorite person. And Timothy Chalamet as young Tom. Timothy Chalamet. Big Timothy Chalamet My fan. favorite person. I like Timothy oh, Ch- I love Timothy Chalamet. Matt Damon as Dr. Mann. Bill Irwin as Tars. And John Stewart as Case. Bill Irwin worked uh, the puppetry for Case and Tars, but only the voice for Tars, while jo- Josh Stewart was Case. Topher Grace, who just shows up in the movie at a random that time. so weird. Love it. Love it. As Getty, Murph's colleague and love interest. Oop. And David Oyelowo as school principal. Mm-hmm. Totally random again. Love it. Absolutely, love absolutely so, pleasantly sure. surprised by his appearance. And then going down the crew, because the crew is as important as anything on Christopher Nolan's films. You've got Christopher Nolan as director, producer, and writer. Jonathan Nolan, his brother, as a writer. He's written on all of Nolan's films. Emma Thomas, Nolan's wife, as a producer. Hans Zimmer, the man himself, as the music composer. Paul Franklin as the visual effects supervisor. And Kip Thorne, an actual physicist, as consultant and executive producer. So that's the crew. I'm going to throw and, out one more name for the crew. Go ahead. Uh, Hoyda Van Hoytema shot the movie, and I, that's what I'm going to get into later. Ah, ooh, the, the cinematography, cinematography, if you mean. Yes, yes. We'll uh, I, I, I must admit, I, I unintentionally omitted that one. My apologies okay. to that guy, because he did a heck of a job. Alex. And then, I mean, where do you guys want to begin? Because I got a whole lot of background and fun facts about the movie, but I mean, there's a million ways we can take it, because there's so much to discuss Obviously, spoiler alert, in effect, guys, but this movie came out in 2014, seven years ago. I think and I'm the only person that had never seen it. Before, yeah, I'm about to say, if you, were, this week. if you were listening to this podcast without seeing the movie, i got to say good luck, because we're going to be talking about some stuff that's going to oh, make yeah. no sense. It barely makes any sense when you watch the movie to begin with. I'm um, going to be like kind of taking a backseat with y'all just talking uh, crazy. Davis has, some, Davis has a whole book on theory written by Kip Thorne. The, the, movie, the movie got... Was nominated for a Nobel Prize in vis- for its visual effects work because of how it affected the ability to simulate a black hole. They wrote two papers on it: one on the ability to create visual effects, and one on particle f- or no, not not particle physics, uh, regular physics itself because of how they created the black hole. They wrote two papers on that, which is insane. Um, yeah, it's. It, they took like a year and a half to render the black hole, and it was all while well, Kip Thorne was sitting there watching. And there's also this hilarious uh, photo to me where Kip Thorne is sitting at the blackboard, 
because he wrote all the equations on the blackboard, yeah. obviously, because who else would have been there to Michael write it? Michael Caine wrote it. And, and Jessica Chastain is there, like, consulting with him. I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, is he really... I imagine he's just walking her through the, all right, now, you need to know this material, even though you're never going to actually directly mention it, I guess. But, yeah, th- I mean, guys, I got I got a lot of stuff, but I just want you guys to take it away on this part, because I know there's so much to discuss. Davis, do you? would you like to leave or Josh? First-time viewer, actually. First-time viewer. What did you think? That's the question, right? You guys, this is, both of y'all think this is one of the best movies ever made. You you have, it. I think, both top five, if I'm not mistaken. I yes. think it's both top two, top actually. Two? We put it yeah. up there, yes. Okay. I really liked the movie. Ah, there's going to be a but. Just wait. There, there, there's, a, there's a but I'm not sure if the, it's there. The but that is there is my caveat with every Christopher Nolan movie. Being? I cannot connect to his characters. Once you but watch it thirty is, times, you 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 are the character. I would say this is I the can, give me give me a scene. I'll quote it right now. No, it's Do not it. about quoting it. It's about I, I don't know if I can I emotionally connect to Matthew McConaughey in this movie. I would say this is the one movie that defies that Nolan trope, specifically in the way that he intention he wrote it for that reason. Yeah, because one of the things, and this is my favorite fun fact of all the fun facts come of this movie, is the fact that he did not tell Hans Zimmer a single thing yes. about this movie. He wrote him a one-page story about a, do- a a father leaving his son to go to work, and Hans Zimmer was like, hmm, what if I just... And he Hans Zimmer ended up crafting the main theme, which is called Stay, which is yeah. on Spotify. So good. Uh, and then, that's because that's what Nolan wanted it to be about, even though he wanted it to be a sci-fi because he can't go two seconds without making some insane exactly. concept, as he does. It was supposed to be at, at the crux about a family stretching across the universe. I think there's a version of this story, in my opinion. I know you guys will completely disagree on this. We ha- there's, yes. there's a version of this story where that works, where you can you can tell a story about a, a father leaving his daughter. I think you needed just some of the supporting characters. Specifically, I think Anne Hathaway is the big one for me. Really? Where I just did not, I didn't really care about her plot really at all like I got it I understood it I saw where where it was going and I was like okay cool and then I would come back to Matthew McConaughey's character I'm like how does he really tie into this like what does he have to do here and I I think he's great in the movie and I I I don't think I've ever seen him bad in a movie I love him I mean you haven't you haven't seen uh the oh what's that movie we talked we talked about it Davis Oh, the movie where he where he dates uh, Jennifer Lopez. That's the worst movie ever, and he's bad in that. I'll just say okay, that. Okay, so I not. need to watch some of those. No, I don't know if you need to. Maybe I need to stay as far away from those. That's that's what I would say. That's what I would say. But it's it's just the same issue that I've had with even like my favorite. I said last week it was The Prestige, and I I stand by that. I think The Prestige is his his best movie, but mostly just because I find that movie so much fun mm. as these two people that are just tearing into each other and just going with magic it. exactly. And I love it. But then, like, I think my number two is Inception. And I have no emotional connection to Inception. I just think it's a cool movie. It is a cool movie. I, I, I Yeah, I got to, Davis, I know you would disagree, I imagine. I, co- I got to say I completely disagree. I think, yeah, no, I get it. Because th- maybe it's the fact that I've, okay, I will say one thing. For what it is worth, despite the fact that I'm sitting here talking about this movie as my favorite movie of all time, when I first watched it, I despised it. I was a lot younger, and I don't think I understood any of it, to be okay. honest. The second watch is, I, I find that Nolan's movies, at least for me, get a lot easier to attach to the characters on the second watch, because half the time on my first watch, I'm trying to figure out what's happening, exactly. I'm not even paying attention to the dialogue. Like, when the scene that I think is one of the better scenes, where 
Anne Hathaway's character, Brand, is explaining the time slippage because they just got back and it was 23 years, uh, four months and eight days on Middler's Planet. What? I was about to quote it, but no, I, 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 I you both got to quote it. I, I knew what I was doing. Um, Why didn't you sleep? No, no, it, it, I had a few stretchers. Oh, stop, stop it, stop it. <laughs> Anyway. That's my Romley impression for yes, people at home. Uh, really, Alex we, doesn't like it. Yeah, it, it, it's not supposed to be dead on. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the guy on what's his name. Guy that does all the Frank impress- Caliendo. Yeah, I'm not Frank Caliendo. I, I'm invoking a caricature. We're of well his aware impression. that you're not Frank Caliendo. Let's anyway, you do something, and big I, man. I, I'm trying. Let's to make not. A, <laughs> let's not. I'm trying to make a point here now. Where that scene where she's explaining like that and. Cooper's clearly just focused on his son while she's focused on the mission. That scene hits a lot better when I'm not trying to figure out what the heck just happened. Because yeah. the first watch, I'm like, wait, I was, what, 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 what happened there? How did this all go down, or what, and whatnot? And I think this one is where it does get a lot better because once you figure it out the first time, you don't really need to think about it as much, and it's a lot easier to emotionally attach to the characters, at least in my opinion, once you've watched it a second time. And in our case. There's three specific scenes I can think of that got me emotional every time. It's when he's driving away from his from his kid, when uh, he gets the messages from his kids. Oh, that then, scene was. And uh, then when he meets Murph when she's old. That that says, was. That, I think I have those my three now. scenes. If there is an exception to the Nolan rule of mixed characters, like just characters that just don't work for me, those are the three scenes I would cite. I think those three scenes are all really really good when it comes to the emotion. But then there are those scenes where it's just them explaining the science. And I'm like, I, I get it. I understand what you're going for with the science. But it just feels so at arm's length Well, I think the emotion. If, if, if I may, I think part of that is the point, per se. Because part, yeah. one, of the, one of the whole things is the fact that Cooper's the only guy with attachment. Yeah. He's the yeah, only. Yeah. And the whole thing is that it's such a horrible idea that uh, Dr. Brand, as in Anne Hathaway's ver- character, would be attached to one of the astronauts, Wolf Edmonds. It's like such a, in, like they, they could not all imagine it because the whole point is they have to be detached because they're trying to either save the human race or save the planet, one yeah. or the other. They can't, they unfortunately can't do both. They don't think they can do both. Yeah. Turns out they kind of could do both. But I don't know. I think that's, I think it's part of the point, which is why I give it a lot more because I think that's where it was tr- intentionally rather than unintentionally lacking emotional connection, at least in my opinion. Um, It'll definitely get better on a rewatch. It's it's one I, of those that if I watch it again, it I I I think I would probably give it like an eight out of ten right now. Mm. It would probably bump up a little bit. I don't know all the way to a nine or every time you watch it, it gets better. It probably will because eventually, once you hit like the eleventh or twelfth watch, that won't happen. You're only oh. listening. You're only listening. You don't think it will, and then you then you once you once you hit that, you only hear the music, and then it becomes a whole other level. Uh, the soundtrack is an eleven out of ten. Yes, the soundtrack is a fifteen. And I, I look, I. That's that's one thing, because um, I mentioned earlier, not to mention the fact that these are some of the fun facts. I mentioned that the score was entirely, like the main theme, which is Stay, which is, it's written twice on Spotify. You can listen to the one that's capital S dot T dot A dot Y, which is supposed to be Morse code, or not Morse code, but, well, it's supposed to be, sort of. Yeah. And then the other version of it are essentially the main theme. He wrote it without knowing what the movie was about, which is insane to me. But again, what a guy. Also, the organ that they got for, for the movie was not like anything in a studio. They actually went to Temple Church in the middle of London and were like, this organ seems pretty cool. And they just did all of it from there. It was a 1926 four-manual Harrison & Harrison organ that they just found. And the organist that works at that church, they're like, oh, yeah, you can play it all. And then Hans Zimmer just sat in the church and just like listened to people play. He was like, all right, that sounds good. That sounds good. They like created the metronome by just hitting the side of something. And it's a whole thing. This is why um, Hans Zimmer is, is one of the best. Yes, exactly. And I will admit, I've not seen Grand Budapest Hotel. 
I've not. That however, needs to however, I listened to the to the soundtrack while making pasta yesterday, and yeah, Interstellar should have won. I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna say it right now. I'm not. Interstellar should have yeah, won. Uh, Grand Budapest is a good soundtrack. But like, but this movie. As a diehard Despot fan, I'm insulted that you would think that. Hans Zimmer is the man. I'm sorry Hans about Zimmer's it. Some, this is. I stand by. Not this is not his best score. What's his best one? It's I, I'm. My childhood movie is Lion King. I will defend that movie infinitely. Alex hates Lion King. No, I do not hate the Lion King. (laughs) That's my mom. My mom doesn't like Lion King. Of course your mother doesn't like the Lion King. I don't think it's possible for someone to hate Lion King. I don't think anybody could accept- My mom doesn't like it. She also doesn't like Mulan either. Mmm, that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Sorry, mom. You're gonna so you're so gonna Lion say the Lion King, King is, is my his personal best favorite score. score of him. Oh my gosh! I, I mean, think if I had to go through my favorite individual pieces of score ever, I think two different ones from that movie would make the top five. Wow. Yeah. Well, I could pick like six from this one to go into my top five. No time for caution is still the great. Anyway, I I don't want to get into that so much. However, I got some fun background information about this movie. So first and foremost, the old people at the beginning. I loved how it started like it was a documentary. I saw that change in like aspect ratio a little bit. I was like, what is this? And then it, it caught on. I was like, okay, okay. So actually, those were actual people. Outside of Ellen Bernstein's character of Murph, those are all people from Ken Burns' 2012 documentary, The Dust Bowl, okay. about the actual people from That's The Dust Bowl. That's what I thought was happening. Yes. I was like, this feels like it's just a Dust Bowl documentary. Which I, liked, I liked that so much because it was kind of cool. You could definitely – because that all happened. Like, like yeah. uh, Essentially, what's happening to – all of Earth and Interstellar happened in Middle America in yeah. the 1930s, and they bring like, up the potatoes in Ireland. Too. Exactly, like, because that's that's, okay. that's a very that's a very good point of reference for what exactly happened. It just never happened on such a grand scale yeah. as what happens in this movie. And additionally, the corn you saw was actually 500 acres of corn. There was no CGI to create the cornfields. He Nolan actually had it planted there. And the entire Midwest scene is actually in northern Canada. And then just ran over it. And he actually he actually planted all the corn, grew it, and sold it and made a profit for the okay. movie. So there was there was that as well. And the house that they have, they built from scratch in ten weeks, and it was a fully functioning house without with everything except no plumbing, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. I feel like it would have just been really nice to just give give the actors, but I don't know. They probably uh, got their trailers out. So yeah, they built all that and made it look like it was Midwest America when it is in fact just Canada. And going down the line some more. Tars and Case were actually mostly manually operated animatronics. The only CG, or not the only, uh, in terms of practical effects, they used a majority of practical effects and miniatures with CGI used for just the particular scenes, like when he was running through the water and on the wave planet. That was CGI because yeah. they had no way of doing that. But it was actually just a dude in a gray suit most of the time moving yeah. it around. I love that. And the wave scene on Miller's planet was actually shot in a real place called the Bruna Sandor Lagoon in Iceland. It's obviously doesn't have giant waves, but the shallow flat water is an actual place, which I thought was really cool because I thought they just would have faked it because like yeah. I didn't think any place would actually look like that and also be that shallow, but apparently that's what it looks like. No one finds a way when it comes to that. Practical effects. effects. He just yeah. I don't know how he does it, but there's forget CGI. I'm gonna run a real plane into a that's because those yeah. he he tried to build it and they're like actually just buying an actual plane and blowing yeah. it up and ten it was a better idea. And Dr. Man's Planet was also filmed at, at a real location. It was the same glacier that Bruce Wayne and Liam Neeson's character, who I can't remember the name for. Oh, wait, it was Ross 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 Ross. Ross. Yeah, Yeah, okay, that's right, that's right, yeah. that's my bad. Come on, uh, Alex. Trained, it was the same glacier they trained on in Batman Begins, and the glacier was actually darker because of a volcano that exploded nearby, or erupted nearby, and coated the entire glacier with ash, and Nolan was like, that actually makes it look better, so that's why they filmed it there. But that's a lot of the fun facts and background on some of the making of the movie. 
But Davis, you've got a lot. I know you've been kind of quiet on the on this on this run. You're what, just what? reading through fun facts. I didn't want to interrupt you. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to go through every single scientific thing like that because that might be a little dense. So if y'all have any questions about certain things, as the scientist of the group here, which is obviously you, not you, a very high bar. You've got, hey, 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 he's in something that involves science. No, I mean like computer science. There you go. Like, no, no, no. I'm, not like, no, I mean, like, why I, I, I am the, the interstellar scientist here just because I've read this doesn't mean I'm smart. I, <laughs> you're, you're insulting yourself before Does I Does anybody can have any you. questions about things that happen interstellar scientific-wise? Alex, you know my I list mean, if you want to set me I, up for I kind of, I kind of understand. I kind of understand most of it. The question is, I've seen a bunch. Josh, did you understand right everything? I think once it got to the black hole, obviously it's impossible for me to know, like, how, re- how much of the black hole stuff is real because I know nothing about mm, black holes, yes. and I just... I was just kind of along for the ride at that point. How how much of that is accurate? How much of that is just visually, specifically the visuals? Because that's my favorite part of the movie is the visuals and just how it looks. It's one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. So how much of that is accurate? So the visuals are extremely accurate. They actually won a Nobel Prize for that. They didn't. They they used the 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 program like the simulation of the black hole that they used in the movie in a in like a thesis and a Nobel thing. They got the Nobel Prize for it. But the part where he goes into it, uh, into the black hole, impossible, never gonna happen. Yeah. He would die instantly. Gets sp- liquefied as spaghettified yeah. ah, is the is the scientific term. That's the scientific yeah, term. It's called spaghettification. Chip okay. Thorne probably knows about that. Yeah, because I, I, I watched a video on it as well where like it was talking about how. Like, Kip Thorne is just talking. He's like, I had all these numbers. I've done all these studies. He knows all about it, but he'd never actually seen it. And because he was like trying to describe how the reason. So, that was one thing that I always was curious about in this movie was, you know, it's a black hole, but it's really bright. It's like, well, what's the deal there? And the. I got it. If you want to learn. Go go ahead. Because, I mean, I know what Kip Thorne said, but I'm curious what you you found as well. Well, so the reason it was so bright is because it's an accretion disk of like molten hot. Things traveling near the speed of light, circling or orbiting it. Yeah. And the reason it looked like it did, where it had the two, the halo around it, and then the going like, it's hard to explain without people seeing it. Like it was the it was, it was a halo like a around it, one, and it then it had like there the was a horizontal one yes. too. So it was just, a, and we we've seen it now that we actually seen the picture of a black hole. This yeah. was just a simulation at the time, a theory. And there was a guy back in the '80s that did it like analog on his computer, like he mapped out every single point. I can't find him, but I know it's real. Trust me on that one. I'll trust you on that one, Davis. So what it is, so you have your event horizon, obviously, which is not that it's it's your event horizon. Just imagine like a ball. I watched a video. Of, look, look, check out the Veritasium video on it. It's where I learned a lot about it. And then so <clears throat> it looks a little bit bigger in the picture because when you when you hit light at it, there's a thing called the Schwarzfield, Schwarzschild radii, which Whoa, is the, which is the event horizon. That is the... That is the uh, furthermost point that light cannot escape from once it hits the event horizon. So 2.6 Schwarzschild radii, I'm trying to make it too boring, is where light can kind of bounce back. So in reality, the black hole in a photo looks a little bit bigger than it is in reality. So 2.6 times bigger. Yeah, and then, and then all those materials were materials that were being sped up and basically cooked, which is why it lit yes. up like a sun, so even though it is, in fact, a black hole. So it's orbiting like like the rings around Saturn are, basically. Like, it's orbiting around it like a regular ring around a planet is. But the thing is, once it goes behind the black hole from where we're looking at it, if Alex is a black hole, I'm looking at him, it's, once it goes behind him, the light's coming back over and it's bending over it. So it's coming so up. So that creates It's the also bending halo. under. 
So it's like it's going around the top, and it's also going around is the reason okay. it looks like that. So it kind of envelops it in that yes. way. Okay. So cool. So there's not actually a ring around the top. It's just around the regular one. Interesting. Okay. When that is revealed. And also, movie. in reality, yeah. it wouldn't be that bright. They just did that for the yeah. movie. There's a thing called, it's called like a beam tracking, or I can't remember. But like, because it, the light's spinning around. So at one side of it's going to be darker because it's going around, and then the side coming towards you is going to be really bright. So it's supposed to look like that in reality, and that's what it kind of looked like on the photo that we that the Event Horizon Telescope got. But for the movie, it looks a lot better like that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think they definitely had to make it a bit brighter and just make it stand out because it, it won the Oscar for visual effects and honestly probably should have won a special prize at the Oscars for it anyway, again. Oh, that wasn't if, too boring. If, no, not at all. <laughs> if, it, if it didn't win the Oscar visual effects, then I would have really lost my mind. I couldn't imagine how it was not going to. Because th- Also, I want to say this movie proves once again, finally, why miniatures are the superior form of visual effects. I will die on the hill that miniatures is all that needs to be done. Because most of the ship, like most of the endurance, is all miniatures. There are certain scenes where they do use some CG to like when it's like crunched and exploded after Dr. Man decides to be stupid. Um, which I will say, that's a point of contention. You can't say the characters will make you feel anything because I hate Dr. Man. So if you didn't hate him either, then you... I don't know if I could say I hate him. Oh my... I get no. Listen, you I'm not. Seen... I'm not gonna defend that that character. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm. I just at that point I was along for the the visuals and I was like I was I was in with the story I think, mm. but I, he he kind of had his little twist and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like it, it, it wasn't like a quick shock for me. I didn't hate him, but it was like he he worked. He he worked for what he was supposed to stand for in the story. And Fair enough. I understood it. So that that reminds me of something I wanted to ask you. So at what point did you realize if at any point that he was lying? I think there was a part of me when it I found out that it was Matt Damon that I was like, okay, they would not just cast Matt Damon as some True. guy. But Christopher Nolan casts random people he as does. random people. This I wasn't does. sure if this was around that time. But this was like right after um, Dark Knight Rises and Inception. Inception, he does that. He just casts everyone. Yep. Um, but it was that, and then he start he started to take uh, Cooper away just by himself, mm. and I was like, okay, yeah, no, we're clearly setting this. So up. I, there's a couple points for me where uh, I lo- I love when he's like walking Cooper away, and Cooper's like, I want to go this way, and he's like, I don't think these conditions are gonna hold, and then Cooper's like, but it's important, and he's like. Well, these conditions usually blow over, and everyone's like, nobody, nobody reacted. That. I was like, that that seems like a like a like a bit of a contradiction. And then even earlier in it, when he's describing all the data, he mentions how all the missions down to the surface he couldn't do, and then he says Kip did most of the legwork. And then they ask him what happens to Kip, and he says, which also Kip Thorne. That's why I think he's named Kip. That is why uh, he's named Kip. Yeah. He, he Kip. Dr. Mann says, Kip misidentified the first organics we found as ammonia crystals, and we struggled on for a time, and I dis- decommissioned him soon after, which directly contradicts the idea that Kip did all the missions if yeah. he messed up the very first mission. Everything he was saying, except for that first scene with him wrapped in the space blanket, yeah. like everything after that, he kept like contradicting himself. I'm like, oh, okay, so we're setting this, this up. Is, this is bad. This yeah. is bad. I didn't like that guy. Yeah, okay. I will say I hate him because he lectures everybody. He's like... He's like, you haven't been tested like I have, Cooper. I was like, man, shut few, up. Few humans have. I was like, that's terrible. And, the, and then he's like, there was. he was literally about to lecture people as he took over their ship. He's yeah. like, there was a moment. But thankfully, thankfully, thankfully the, just- the they just blew him up. I'm going to say, I'm going to chalk that up to the cosmic fifth dimensional beings that did it instead yeah. of actually him. I'll, I'll, I'll thank them for that one. Um, and then going down the list of other things. 
So this was a misconception that I had, and Davis and I talked about this when we watched it. Like, I think a lot of people identified this movie as a commentary on climate change and the destruction of Earth's environment at the hands of humanity. Is that what you saw it as? I definitely started mm. to pick up on some of that. Um, the second it was, it started talking about Dust Bowl and all of that, I was like, okay, are we setting this up? Because I, um, I remember when Tenet came out, a lot of people were like, Tenet is about climate change and global warming. I'm like, I don't see that. I would need to watch the movie again, I guess, from that perspective. I didn't see that. I've seen it twice. I've seen it the one time, and I was like, I don't see that at all. Yeah, I don't. I, but don't I, would, I guess I'll, I, I might watch it again at some point for that. I don't like the movie that much, though, so I, don't, I probably won't. But I, I think this one executed that a lot better because it was pretty – I'm not going to say it was obvious because it, it felt kind of subtle. But I definitely saw that. There was definitely some climate change in here um, and about how we just need to go kind of exploring on our own to reverse that. I will say, uh, on a technicality, it's not actually about climate change, if you get rather technical with it, because technically what it's about is the opposite. Or not not necessarily the opposite, but it's more about overconsumption, because the idea yeah, is yeah, that yeah. blight is not something caused by... It's like overpopulation. Exactly, because yeah. essentially what, what happens, and I love, I love all the exposition hinting at what went wrong, but never actually saying it, like the line where he talks to Dr. Brain, like, I heard they shut you down after you refused to drop bombs onto starring people. Yeah. Because essentially what happened is blight occurs from overconsumption and crop rotation, failed crop rotation. Because yes. you're supposed to rotate your crops to like keep the soil healthy, and in the Dust Bowl and in Ireland with the potato famine, they just planted the same thing 40 times, and then the ground was like, we don't want to do this anymore, and yeah. it kind of all went belly up. And in this, they because so many people were there, they were like, we got to mass produce all this food, and then it just killed every plant they had, so where they just make nothing but corn, which I like how it's sort of, you can see the hopelessness in it, because they're like, we're growing more corn than we ever have, not rather than that's what's going to cause the corn to die, because that's how it works. Since they only grow corn, and they grow the most corn they've got, exactly. it's all like completely in the toilet. Yeah. I thought that was because it, it felt like it was about climate change, but it technically didn't ever mention like pollution because of course they still yeah. all drive cars and they still all do all this stuff and they still got these massive machines farming it was more about the fact that it was just overconsumption and like yeah. i like john lithgow's line where he's like six million people could you imagine that or six billion people yeah i was like i mean yeah i could we're at seven billion now exactly which i'm pretty sure they were at seven billion in 2014 as well i think this they is one of the most were. accurate the most realistic like post-apocalyptic absolutely because yeah I, I think i think part of it is you know society wouldn't go out with a you know, with a cry, it would kind of almost go out with a whimper as people yeah. just slowly died, which is what's happening in this in this movie. I think my issue with a lot of post-apocalyptic movies is that it's just shoving down your throat that, oh, this is post-apocalypse. This is post-apocalypse. So I watch something like this or Children of Men, oh, and I'm like, movie. those are goes. subtle with your, your apocalypse. Absolutely. You're, it's very, it, it doesn't, like, I didn't realize for a good probably 10, 15 minutes of this that it was... It's around like our time, but it's it feels very different. True, and that's what I love about this movie as well as Nolan's other movies. He doesn't state the time exactly. He's like, because like even in Inception, he doesn't give you what year it is. Inception, Inception's timeless because of that. I think. I think. Yeah, I think. It, and then this one, I think, stands the same way. Where it could really yeah. be anywhere because there's a lot of there's a lot of you know up to date you know tech, but also everything's very contemporary. Yeah, like they still use very old computers. Exactly. And they still drive old. They still drive cars. That I think are it's around the era. like 2080s to 2100s because John Lithgow's our generation, as I think it was supposed to be, and then Matthew McConaughey's the next. 
They definitely said something in the beginning about the 20th century. Yeah, so, so we don't want like a repeat, repeat of, the of the 20th century because yeah, they're talking about NASA and McConaughey is yeah. 40 and the idea is that he was born 40 years too early or 40 years too late. Yeah. So I'd say it's somewhere where if he was born 40 years too early, he would have been born during our time. So I would say that's probably right. Yeah. I would definitely say it's tw- the 2070 to 2080 type range. We're going to yeah. grow up to be John Lithgow's. I, I don't want to... I, I, I could grow to be John Lithgow. I don't know. John Lithgow seems like a pretty cool dude. He was in Harry and the Hendersons. He was in Dexter. He was. And he was in he Planet was of the in, Apes. He was in Shrek. Oh yeah, my he, gosh, he is. Wasn't he the frog? No, he's no. like Farquaad. Uh, no! Is he really? He, yes, he is, because it's a sacrifice he's willing to make. You know, it's the whole thing. Um, I also will say, I wouldn't often compliment exposition on a movie, because exposition should not be difficult. But after seeing Dune 1984, yep. I must commend this movie on the, in my opinion, what is perfect exposition on the setup. It's pretty great. I think, in terms of, it's not a... You know, there's not McConaughey just driving by himself, lecturing us on what's happening, or just telling or like Murph talking what to Timothy Chalamet. Exactly. About it's and, and I've got I've yeah. got it written down. It's you know, it's the line where I heard they shut you down for after refusing to bop drums from the stratosphere on starving people. I think that's a perfect line to set up exactly the dire circumstances. Yeah. There's Delhi Mission Control went down same as ours ten years ago. Where's I pay taxes? Where's that money go? Because there's no more armies. Just yeah. little things like that that give you an indication of what the world is like. Without really taking you anywhere, there's not a single "let's go to this city." You yeah. Know, that normally, movies like this do that. Like yeah. the one I can compare it to is, and this is not a really accurate comparison, but World War Z is a movie that tries to set up what the world is like. So they just jump to different cities yeah. constantly. It works in that movie more so than this, obviously, because they're two very different types of films. But this movie, they stay on it. And yeah. that and that movie's based off a book where they true. interview people. True, that's true. And, the, and that that book's gimmick is that. And this movie on the opposite is like we're gonna put it on a family, even though the world is ending. It almost takes a back seat to Matthew McConaughey and Jessica Chastain, the entire yeah. movie. Um, um, I do have one question about the beginning of this movie ah, yes. with the, the drone that I believe it was an Indian. Yes, it Indian was. Drone. Um, what was that about? So I that, was lost. that is um, the idea was once the mission control went down, they didn't bring down their satellites. It's okay. like. Was it artifi- like an artificial intelligence drone? Essentially, kind of yeah, exactly. Like satellites okay. that are just pre-programmed to float around. And, okay. And the reason it came down so low, I deduced, was because of the anomaly. He, okay. So he never, they never addressed the anomaly. But remember, the anomaly draws all their construction thing yeah. or all their farming equipment to the house. Yes. I was take. I was assuming it was the anomaly that brought it all the way down because it's never okay. explained further. He also and says he has no the, idea. the 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 it was fried by the the sun. No, he said maybe it was fried by the sun. He never actually... And I, I assumed it was more so to do with the anomaly. Okay. Because why is it all the way in middle America? If it doesn't have anything to do with the anomaly, I feel like it's a little bit just kind of out... Just kind of random. It's it's something to show... Give us an excuse to do the cornfield chase, which is my favorite score piece from the, the movie. The cornfield chase is magnificent. I wrote that down. It's just such um, an awesome scene to start. But... If it doesn't have anything to do with the anomaly, it's a little bit random. I was assuming it was supposed to... I, I thought it served a couple purposes. I thought it served in terms of characterizing who everybody is. Yeah. Cooper's the scavenger. Yeah. He's going to do whatever the heck he can. He's going to go to a parent's school, or parent-teacher conference with a flat tire and a drone in the back of his truck yeah. because he wants to do whatever he can to... Get back up and... Exactly. And, and, and in, this case, in this case, just survive yeah. and keep his family afloat with their farm. And that's what he was thinking of. Not to mention sort of... He likes the adventure, like telling his son to take the wheel and making his daughter do this other thing while he goes on his computer. I kind of took it as that, but I also thought it was for the anomaly. They just didn't build up the mystery as much because then it goes straight to the parent-teacher conference. Yeah. But it, I was I was assuming it was the anomaly. Yeah, that makes sense. And if not, it all serves as a big sort of characterization of here's the three people because you've got – it all starts with 
the whole Murphy's Law thing, and you get that Cooper and Murph are a lot closer than Cooper and Tom, or at least differently. Yeah. They're both different in that in that case, because Cooper's like, you got to learn how to fix stuff, because he's worried that he's going to die. I think it's in part, because he knows that, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, Davis, what are you thinking over there? What about this movie, Davis? I'm you talk about the hard. science, Davis. I have more science to talk about. But what, what do you li- what do you like about the movie, Davis? What do you mean what I like about the movie? I've talked everything he about this movie. The science. If, from the beginning of, of this show, I've talked about what I liked about now, this keep, movie. But Davis, you got to keep going. Come on now, give us some stuff. Why Why am I getting the, the, the light on me here? I don't know, Davis, because I want to put the light on you for a second. That's why. Okay. I mean, what about this movie don't I like? <laughs> there you go. How about that? I mean, I mean what, what about what about Josh's criticism earlier about the lack of emotion in the character? Where do you think about I, that? I've seen it so many times that, like, the first time I'll agree, that's how Nolan movies are. You, the Nolan movies are built, so you have to rewatch them. Yeah. I wonder if he does that on purpose. It's a good strategy for him, isn't it? It's I a good strategy. So. First time I watched it, I liked it, but I was still confused by a lot of stuff. Second time I watched it, I started to understand it more, read, like, watched videos about it, and now I'm probably on, like, my 20th time seeing it, going to be honest. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the few movies that I can actually quote correctly. Alex can attest That's to that. That's true. Many times the quotes are not so correctly. It's always just, they're always just slightly accents, off. But... Hey, it, it's a caricature of an accent. Oh, my gosh. It's right a on. caricature of an accent. Think about it. When you see a caricature of like a like an, a politician, it's not like dead on. They just choose a part of them and exaggerate it in like the cartoon. I don't know if Romley is enough of a character to be. Compared I just to his a voice politician. was funny. He had that he had that weird way of talking. What what is the what what is um it, what is it about a pearl in a black hole, Davis? I I'm not gonna say. It. You don't want want to hear me say it. Oh, you were boo. just complaining about it earlier. I, okay. If I if I asked, would you say it? If the <laughs> if the black pearl <laughs> is the pearl, then the singularity is the... Oh, I messed it up. You messed me up, Alex. <laughs> the black hole is the oyster. That's how, That's what you're supposed yeah. to say. Yeah, okay. I was just I was just hearing yours. That wasn't bad. You th- no, I'm not going to keep going on that one. No way. Oh, he's going to be like, oh, you think? Oh, you think so? No. That- you're going to keep going. No, I'm not. I do have... Uh, if there was a sequel to this, which I don't want there to be, but people say if there was a sequel, would you rather... What would you want it to be about? Because there's obviously one big one where they go save Doyle from Miller's Planet. You mean, you mean, uh, not Brand. Brand. No, go save Doyle from Miller's Doyle's Planet. Doyle's dead. He's, no, he's not. I thought he was he dead. He got knocked out. It's been like 10 minutes on his planet. Think about mm. it. I assumed he was dead because he was laying lifeless, head down in water. Or he got knocked out because he got hit by water. Mm. I in, was... a, in an airtight suit. Okay, I'm not going to pull the... It's a theory. Eye. I Obviously, it's the not, impact never of that happen. definitely killed him. What if it didn't? I think they were setting it up that those those waves kill you. Like that is like really either obliterate way, you. It's a, it's a two thousand foot tsunami. Because the... it's not gonna happen. Let's say hypothetically he lived here. Okay, all right, all right. Would I, you want to no, see them go no, save honestly, him? Because no, it's only been like no. ten minutes not, on his planet not, because no, of time dilation. Not to, men- not to mention, I think uh, leaving that pl- Miller's planet as that one incredible wave scene. I'm fine with that. I don't need to go back to Good. it. If if I was going to make a sequel, it would be to explore other regions mm. of that galaxy. It I would never make a sequel to this movie. Good, but Good take. if I had to, that's what it would be. It would not be to revisit any planets. If I had to make a sequel, I would like it to be actually. There's the 51 years where they go in the they go in the black hole to slingshot that caught that jumps them from. Murph's Eureka moment to where they are in space. I'd like to see that actually, because I, I could watch an entire movie with Jessica Chastain solving science. They make the O'Neill cylinders. What? 
Where they make the O'Neill cylinders? That's what they were in. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, that. And, like, how... Because I'm sure, honestly, considering where the state of the planet was at that time... They, it was probably going to get a lot worse before they actually left. I think that would have been cool. So Again. you'd rather a sequel that's just staying on Earth, really focusing Honestly, on Honestly, yeah, because I think I think that was a very fascinating storyline. Not to mention Jessica Chastain's great. Yeah. And she was my favorite part of the movie, so she can star in her own movie and do all that, in my opinion. Your favorite part of the movie? I like Jessica Chastain. She's pretty great in every movie she's ever been in. She was in The Martian for like five minutes, and that was still great, so... Yeah. I like. Guess you're not wrong. I mean, I mean, I liked her as Murph. I liked all the scenes with her and Michael Caine one on one, and Michael Caine's like, last scene. Yes, yeah, so good, yeah. so good. That scene was awesome. Do not go gentle into that good night. I love it. I love it. I'm gonna get it painted on my wall. I don't even know, but like even like the scene where Jessica Chastain or Murph is just trying to figure out everything in her room. She's just sitting there silently figuring out, and it still is like as compelling as if That's she were my talking one. About it. My biggest issue with it, which isn't that big, is how quick she jumped from. How quick she was like, oh, this watch is my dad. Just that's my one issue with it. How how big that she the had ju- that moment. How big that jump in logic jump, was yeah. for. Her. I think it but was. I, I think it was a fact of. Um, well, the thing I'm gonna write it off as this movie has moments where they like it's a real time scene, but it goes like it's an hour in time where you like you're there with them for a minute, but it takes an it's after that is an hour that is scene. my one big criticism on Miller's Planet. They're sitting in the ship and. Uh, Tars is like no case because it's with case. Uh, case is like it'll be forty five minutes to an hour to empty the engines, and, and it then was they're immediate. just talking. And it, it cuts. That was annoying. That was weird. I then maybe well, okay. So um, I, I don't know what. I think my only argument is that if somehow Case's percept, which again he's a robot, so his perception should be fine. If his perception was time was based on them not being on the planet, which still wouldn't make any sense. What do you mean? Like if he's like, oh, it would take an hour of like Earth time, but that he didn't say that. So that's the yeah. only possible explanation for how it took two minutes for a movie that to, is to dump so. The no, it, it's just. It, I'm sorry, you said. No, anything. you're good. You're good. Uh, for a movie that's so time driven, and it, all of his movies are, but for a movie that's so time driven. It feels a little bit convoluted in its ways of it has so many mm. different time not timelines but time systems going on. Yeah, you've got Earth time, you've got time while you're in space, you've got time around the black hole, time around all these different planets is different. I don't know if it's stated well enough the time to- like where each time was in relation to the others. So I would like we would cut back to Earth and it's still Jessica Chastain. I'm like, oh, I thought we were like way farther in the future. Yeah. So I like think that. I think the idea was. It kind of it kind of makes a bit of space travel seem like it's going to be a lot quicker than it probably should be, like because it takes a long time to get to yeah. the moon, let alone and everyone's like, oh, we're just going to go to the black hole and it's like simultaneously happening with something else. When in reality, time should probably be. Well, this the whole movie is playing with the time and the scene, like with the case thing. You're saying, it's it's it, throughout the movie it does that. It's it has time where like you're in a scene for two minutes, but it's actually an hour. It's just it do, it does that. Mm. They drive to NORAD, which is halfway across the country, because they are in New York. Don't forget They're that. They're in New York? They go watch the Yankees play. Well, I thought that was the Yankees visiting. It says the home of the New York Yankees, so I doubt that'd be the visiting team. But they can't be in New York. It's like a, it's not a metropolitan area. It was like the Midwest. But the thing, well, if, if there was a big cataclysmic event where, where, the, where the country was falling apart, I could see, and also they could just be upstate. One second. Give, give me. Give, keep talking, Davis. Give me one second. I guess they could be upstate. They no, could be upstate, yeah. or New York could have started to crumble, and they just kind of moved away from it. But that, it said the home of the New York Yankees. They are in New York. I thought it said, welcome the world-famous New York Yankees. 
It did I, not. Thought, I thought it said. Hold up. Let me let me let me see if I can find something on this. I don't know. I'm not entirely positive on that. I I do. I remember seeing the Yankees. I was like, huh? What? Yeah. So I, that was sort of to introduce the idea that like baseball and just basic things like that had essentially fallen apart because yeah. nobody. Uh, I got the scene right here. Let's see it. Oh, it says, welcome the world-famous okay. New York Yankees. So Either way, the still, they, were essentially they still had to drive halfway across the country were, to get to Norad. They were essentially a traveling circus, was what the Yankees had become. Okay, which again I thought was, I said home. No, my yeah. bad, my bad. Then, I won't apologize. Then John Lithgow's like, who are these bumps? And I was like, that's right, John Lithgow, you tell him. And then he says he wants a hot dog. I was like, I don't know about that one. I want a hot dog. Popcorn's not popcorn, that bad. Popcorn at baseball games is stupid. It's I want a hot dog. I mean, I mean, I... Thank Hot dogs are pretty good. Then again, then that. again, if they're so out, if they're so out of oh wait, okay, maybe maybe this is obvious and I missed it. Was that supposed to be an indication of the fact that they didn't have any hot dogs? Like literally, it wasn't a choice. It's the fact they were out of food because they only grow corn. And yeah, that's I, I gather yes. they don't have any livestock. I guess so. Yeah, yes, that's exactly. What I didn't it see is. any okay. livestock. In the okay, so, yeah. so that ah, even I so. even I remember even, when they ate food, it was all corn meat. Oh yeah, would you like some more souffle? And then there's just corn. There's more corn. There's cornbread. I'm like that. Yeah. Can't be good. Okay, so fun line from John Lithgow. Actually, serious commentary on the fact that the world is crumbling. I like no one doesn't doesn't just throw in lines to throw in lines. That's true. I can't. Uh, well, no, I will say the the even even though it is my favorite scene, the what if loves a dimension? The many many different times that Case and Cooper have talk about caution was. I was like, all right, guys, we get it. You both like caution. You're a setting lot. it up. No, I, I, yeah, there. Okay, that is one thing. I do like how everything is very much set up. Like the fact that. He uses his long-range transmitter to talk to Case while he's uh, flying down to man's Slow planet, down, just slick. to just to then realize that that's what's gonna he's gonna lose later. I liked that part. It's like that's very smooth. They also setup. set up the the man docking scene by having like four other slow docking scenes. Yes, I like the docking scene at the beginning, showing the procedure to deliberately make you know. All right, this is why Doctor Man's gonna totally mess up later on in the movie, which. I'm not going to say I actively celebrated when he got blown into space, but I wasn't necessarily mad about him getting blown into space. That's all I'm going to say. I, I just like that they cut off his, his lecture. Yes, I, I, there, there, there was, was a moment. moment and <sighs> it just blows up. I'm I was like, like please you. spare me from one more. Oh, my God. Do you see your children? You haven't been tested like I have. I'm pretty sure he has. I, did I you so. go to Miller's Planet? Because he did. You yep. just sat on a rock yep. and lied. And Okay, one question, though. That actually reminds me of man stuff. So Dr. Man sets up Kip to blow up somebody. How does that pl- was, was the idea that that was his means to almost commit suicide? But then what's how does he intentionally know to set up to kill somebody and cause a distraction? Was he intentionally trying to kill Romley? Or was I'm it not sure? That's, did, he, did he set that up pr- so prior to them getting there? Yeah, it seemed like it, it was because it was how, how I I'm not entire Okay, what well, Oh, if someone tried to get into the archive. If some, oh no! So it wasn't an intentional trap. It was, it was in case some somebody would not live to see the data that was lied. Because okay. he decommissioned Kip. Because Kip probably in reality fought him on the fact that yeah. they were lying about the data. Yeah. Okay. That makes, that makes. I thank you, Davis. You cleared up in five seconds like that. Look at look at it that. Sounds like I've, I've seen this movie a ton of times. Yeah, I mean I've seen it a ton of times too. Um, you know what? I think I've seen it more. You have. That is not. That is not up know, for I'm debate. You, also, I really liked how they didn't let you know who Doctor Man was. They're like, "Oh, he's amazing." And you're like, "Why didn't you show him?" Because obviously, it's Matt Damon. Yeah. Best reveal I've ever seen is just randomly cuts open paper to reveal. Oh my gosh, it's Jason oh, it's, Bourne. It's Matt Damon crying into Matthew McConaughey's shoulder. I mean, another good, another good scene. Yes, very, I really like that. And he's like, "Pray you never know." I was like, "Know what?" 
I think is I can't watch. He was that alone s- on a planet for like ten years. I can't watch That's that pretty- scene anymore without getting angry because I don't like Doctor. I mean, Man. like you're hating on Doctor Man, but he did kind of go through some stuff. The in fact his own is, way. once I've seen The Departed and Goodwill Hunting, I just don't like Matt Damon. What can I say? You Alex, don't like Matt Damon after Goodwill Hunting. I that, Good that was Hunting. that was a joke to mess with him because I, like I didn't like it. Admittedly, it's crazy. I fell asleep while watching it. I'll admit, and he won't rewatch it. I I've tried that to needs to change. I look okay I, okay. I haven't seen it in years, and I remember very little from it, but I, I can tell movie. you that it's a great movie. I mean, no, I, the, Davis tells me all the time that it's a good movie. Great. But That's another movie I can quote pretty well. Uh, okay, Go back. Watch not that I will. In reality, I was making a joke about The Departed, because in that, he's the most irreprehensible character in the history of, like, That's oh, reasonable. he's so annoying. Davis, you haven't seen The Departed, though, have you? Oh, so good. Such a Departed good movie. Departed's great. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, Just going down the list of so many things. Yeah, I like everything about this movie. I, I really can't. I wish there was there was some other critique that was lack that was more than just simple lack of ca- connection with characters because that's like I don't think you can really argue if they are connectable or not. It's just a matter of a personal. I think it's person a personal basis. preference. For me, exactly. I prefer I prefer a character study over a big epic. But mm, also, that's fair. I I I've found there are sci-fi movies out there that are that that are character studies, but also are epic. I think uh, Arrival. Blade ah, yes. We're talking last week with Denis Villeneuve's movies, but I I think Nolan doesn't he doesn't make those. That's not what he's going for. So I can't True. I'm not going to fault Interstellar for not being a character study, but it I can say that it's not entirely for me for that reason. That's a fair point. That's a fair respectable point. And I I'll, I'll say I'll say on this, can we at least all agree that Case and Tars were the best parts of the movie? It took me a second to get used to the the visuals of them because I was just not expecting them to be practical. And they start moving around. I'm like, that's that's real. Uh, yeah, that's puppetry. Yep. And it took me a, a good five minutes of them on screen to catch that, and then I was fine. I I was like, okay, they look cool. I like them. They're funny. They're hilarious. They're cool. They added. Uh, I saw somebody say they added a human element, despite the fact that they're robots. And I honestly concur. They act more human than some of the human. And characters. I think. I think. I think. Honestly, I think that was part of at least the point. And maybe this is me taking too deep of a dive into the movie, but I feel like part of the point is the fact that people have had to get so robotic because, I mean, they all think they're gonna die. Like, yeah. like even, um, you know, there's. And there's a lot of scenes that, which is why Cooper is one of my favorite characters, not from the, just this movie, but any movie in my opinion, because there's so many little scenes that set him up, like where the first scene where Murph is talking about the ghost and the broken lander, and and Coop's like, "Don't say it's a ghost. Ghosts aren't real, you idiot." And then and then uh, Donald's John Lithgow or John Lithgow's Donald is like, "Be an actual parent for like five seconds," and it basically yeah. has to bring him back to the reason that. I think Coop's generation and every generation after the fact is far too robotic about reality because yeah. they th- they think there's no hope. They think that there's I nothing. I think it's more do. that these scientists have been living in a bunker, learning how True. to fly. True, and I think I think there's a lot robotic. there's a lot of detachment from them, and I think and I think I think Cooper also experiences that. Uh, and I, I think there's there's he's a, the most well adjusted, or maybe I, not the most well adjusted. I think he is, but he's I think human character. I think I think he's supposed to be the middle ground between. The scientist human and, and is yes, and how, how yeah, exactly far from that the other scientists like all are. of them are yeah. except of course Brand who doesn't even mention the Wolf Edmonds thing. I think specifically you know Doyle and Romley are very much and even yeah. Uh, I mean Michael Caine's Doctor Brand is the epitome of that. He yeah. is the purest example of lie to the rest of humanity to save four people yeah. and the you know the like fertilized eggs and all that stuff and the whole repopulation plan. Yeah. But I think that. 
to me is where he sort of serves as a kind of middle ground between that because one is so vastly emotional. Murph doesn't even really click anything in her brain about it because she's just so annoyed at her dad. She never even speaks to him through the video stuff. I don't know. I just thought that was part of it. And I also liked a lot of the lines that set up from the beginning and the end where he's talking with where how he thinks society's fallen so far. He's like, now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. And even at the end, I don't care much for this pretending we're back where we started. I want to know where we are and where we're going. I think it shows how different he is from everybody else. And that's a very interesting point because they very much did literally just build stations in space and just continue life where they were. Which I don't, I don't know. I feel like that's different from where most movies that go into space go. Yeah. Like traditionally, they don't just like, all right, what if we just completely recreate our environment from Earth from there? But I don't know. I just, I really like this movie. I must admit, Davis, you got you got some things for us. Like what? what do you I don't know, to... Davis. Take take it away. Uh, why keep you're, getting you're, it? Okay, I do have one more times. one more scientific thing I want to talk about with y'all. Is the you're time... the one seen it twenty times? So good. Oh, sorry. Is the time dilation on Miller's uh, time planet. dilation? Yes. So, which is a confusing concept, even for I was watching videos on it last night. I was reading about it today. It's still confusing. What about it? What do you mean? What about it? Like, no. What's confusing about it? Oh, I was gonna get to that. Oh. <laughs> But I'm going to give you all a visual to imagine. So obviously we've heard, you know about the space-time, not the continuum, but space-time, the dimension of space-time. It's basically like what makes up our universe. Yes. So gravity bends that. It pulls on it, push-pulls, more pull. I guess it doesn't push, doesn't have hands. And as the movie says, gravity is the one thing that can transcend time, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. And love. And love. Hey, I thought, look, that, hey, it's kind of goofy, hey. but like... It oh, kind of makes sense. It was really goofy. Okay, it was. So, but, I mean, so like, it's okay. It is goofy in of itself, but it's supposed to be goofy. Yeah. It's supposed to be a she character who, a point, is, who is latching on. I mean, she's trying point. to desperately because yeah. she's exp- look. She just got <laughs> back from being on a planet for twenty three years, four months, eight days. Her father was already really old when she left, and he's on his deathbed, and he dies shortly after that. Yeah. She, I think, is very. In her in her character's defense, making the logical point of, all right, I have only one person left on the planet that I care about. Of course, he ends up being dead anyway, which is very unfortunate for her. Yeah. But I think that's it, it's goofy, but I think it's supposed to be. It was just the way it was presented in that that conversation between them. It was just like, oh, and gravity is the only thing that can transcend t- space and time and love. And I'm like, okay, okay. I think I think I, it, think I think, it, I think it was very much her trying to be like, all right, my fellow scientists, listen to me while I explain human emotions yep. because they don't understand it. And they don't yeah. at all. Anyway, Davis, back yeah, to your continue. point. All right, so hey, y'all, have either y'all been to the Explorium since we're yes. all from Mobile here? Definitely, a million times. Did y'all ever use, and I'll explain this for people at home that don't know what the Explorium is. It's kind of like a, it's a science center. It's really cool. But did y'all ever use, like, it's like the big round, and it, it like it dips in big round like m- plastic thing, and you put a coin in, and the coin yes. loops around. Yes, a million times, many things were thrown down. Which there. is it's it's a simulation of gravity. It's not the best simulation, but it's like kind of rudimentary, kind of gets your mind in it. So imagine that, or you get uh, like a, a blanket, you stretch it out, you throw a ball into the middle of it, and then you like throw marbles in it, and they loop around. The only issue is that it's not pulling you're not going to collapse into it. Like, we're not going to collapse into the sun because we have, like, a stable orbit. Yeah. But just kind of imagine that for how it bends space-time, the blanket in a ball. So uh, since Miller's plan is so close to Gargantua, it's basically pulling time. So if you imagine another way to imagine it is you have a string and you pull it 
like you make it like a roller coaster up and up and down. So you have to like climb the hill, go back down. So it's time slower there, while on Earth it's running regular. I see. Okay. Is that, so, if that makes sense. So that that explains why there is the major. Is that what you were you were confused by? How exactly a time slippage works? I just thought I'd explain it for people at home. Yeah, no, I mean that 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 I think it that's a, a very confusing good point. concept. Honestly, Miller's plan in that entire scene might be my favorite. I like the every every clicks a day. Every clicks a day. Hans Zimmer. At first, I thought I thought he did the whole score without knowing it, and I was like, how did he know just to make random clicks a day? And it, but then that makes a lot more sense that he actually put in like the metronome clicks to represent a day passing, which I thought was really cool. And also, I gotta say, most scores I would think don't do a good job of building tension. Because, like, there, there's or orchestras, I think, lack that in some capacity. I would say, as much as I do love John Williams, a lot of his scores don't really build a lot of tension with the movie. I'm not sure if John Williams is someone that goes for that. Though. True, true. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I would say, depending on building stress and tension, they tend to not be as loud as you traditionally get stuff to build tension. And this yeah. movie does the opposite, where every single scene is just building it and building it like the way, which is just called Waves, I think, is. One where it's just constantly just getting more and more stressful as you realize something's going wrong. And then, of course, Cooper sees the wave behind the ship. Those and it's are like, mountains. They're waves. There's another, what? another one for you. Boom. Put that in the bank. <laughs> no, that I'm not going to put that. That for free. That, it certainly should have been because it was garbage. Oh, wow, Alex. I didn't realize. I think I should be paid for listening to that. I think, I think you owe us a supposed d- to be good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Frank Caliendo, like I said. I, oh, my. You can't say that twice, Davis. We understood. Why not? The first, I don't know. We understood it the first oh, time. Oh yeah. But I, I really liked that part. And then no time for caution. Just the Davis. I mean, he's docking Davis. Turkey Stellar. What? You ever seen that? What? Y'all have never seen Turkey Stellar? No, I've never no. seen Turkey Stellar. What is Turkey Stellar, Davis? <laughs> what? You made this up. This I did not, not make up. Do turkey I have to Google Stella. Turkey there's Stellar? A where, there's a thing where turkeys like getting a. Here you go. I have it right here for you. Imagine the no time for caution over this. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a thing yeah. where turkeys they'll just kind of like walk around things in a group and just imagine. Just look up Turkey Stellar. That's all you need I, to do. I, I, I'm watching it again right now. I've seen that before. And I Davis, you sent me a TikTok Stella. of them screwing a light bulb with a drone. It was, was awesome. Great. It was so cool. Can confirm Turkey Stellar is more entertaining than Interstellar. There's a one-hour loop. Whoa! <laughs> what is that? You aren't even going to address that, Davis? Do, do, do. Now, you sorry, be- the turkeys have mesmerized You better take that me. back right now. <laughs> I'm not taking anything back. That That's egregious. Look, look, look. I'm watching um, the turkeys. I mean, here, here through the lens, we accept people can have their opinions. It's well within your right to be wrong, but we accept it. Except I'm right. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> that is... I'm not going to say... Hmm. Davis, you're not even really. You like this movie more than I am, and you're the just turkeys. The turkeys have mesmerized me. <laughs> the turkeys are giving a better no! performance than Matthew McConaughey does. Okay, okay now, mm-mm. nope, nope, no. He's making no. stuff up now. Now. You, now, you, now you're just now you're just trying to trying to get a reaction out of me. That's what you're. doing. I don't doing. know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I would never. That that's horrendous. That's that's <laughs> completely horrendous. Not to mention, honestly, on the basis of just people I dislike from the Oscars, McConaughey should have got an Oscar nomination for this. I'm gonna say it. Let me check that category, because that was the year Eddie Redmayne won. He should have won, in my opinion. Uh, Michael Keaton should have won for Birdman. Ah, okay. I, I, pretty good Birdman. I, I'm, I am very much biased for actors who simulate people who have disabilities like that, because it just takes a lot of skill yeah. to do it. So that's why. Uh, the nominees that year were Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. He played Stephen Hawking. 
he ended up winning. Yeah. Uh, Steve Carell and Foxcatcher, Bradley Cooper and American Sniper, Benedict Cumberbatch and Imitation Game, and Michael Keaton and Birdman. Now, I, I like one, two, four, and five. I don't think Bradley Cooper and American Sniper is better than Matthew McConaughey in this movie. Of these, I've only seen, I have not seen Foxcatcher and American Sniper. Um, I'm. <laughs> Uh, I've heard Bradley Cooper's fine in American Sniper. I mean, yeah, he's fine, but he, like that movie itself it's okay. was gra- yeah, grossly overrated from the jump. For one, it got exactly. not it got it's nominated. Fake baby. It got nominated for Best Picture, yes. and Interstellar did not, which makes me even more angry. Yeah. But um, out of these, I would probably take out Carell and Cooper, and then put in, I guess McConaughey or Miles Teller and Whiplash. Ah, um, and then also put in Ray Fiennes in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Ah, against the choice. I, I will say for the Carell one, apparently it was. I hear he's great. Which again, Carell is Oscar bait, where comedians who become serious actors are automatic yeah. Oscar. Oh bait. wait, what was Carell for? He was in Foxcatcher. Fox it's the one about the guy who was a wrestling. Coach? Yeah, he, he was. He was like a wrestling coach, but he was not great in a lot of psychological and I believe other kinds of abuse. Yes, on a lot of people. That movie was done better that same exact year by Whiplash. So. That's well. So Foxcatcher is a true story. Yes, is Whiplash. where where it stands. Yeah, I guess you're you're right, but. <laughs> Whiplash is it's the same concept, pretty much. With so an abusive if if I may coach. say, the abuse gets a little more dicey. I'm not gonna. I'll, go I'll watch. I haven't I'll seen the Fox movie, Spencer. so I'm not sure. But I'm under the. I'm un, I'm pretty sure it gets more than just verbal. Your garbage abuse, if I may. So and I haven't Whiplash seen myself. Whiplash gets pretty physical. True. 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 Like he true. murders him. Oh yeah, he does. Huh. That's right. He got arrested. John Dupont got arrested for murder. That's of Dave right. Schultz. That's right. Oh my gosh. I take it back. Yeah. Okay. So Whiplash is not Foxcatcher confirmed. No. Oh my gosh. That's right. I totally forgot because all the trailers you can't tell what's gonna. That's right. Thank you, Davis. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I take that back. It's a very different movie. He's a psychopath. He's not a crazy teacher. He is a legit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Different movie. We'll <laughs> yes. Say that. We'll we'll, okay. we'll settle that. We'll I mean, take, sure. Leave him in there. We'll take Bradley Cooper out and put, well, I guess I'll let y'all take the majority vote and put McConaughey in. Woo! I'm putting Ray Fiennes in. But I'm also cool I am, with Ray Fiennes. I am, I am taken aback by your disdain for the Interstellar. It is I don't, I have no, it's a, <laughs> it's a good movie. I really like the movie. You gotta watch. I the like Grand like Budapest Hotel a lot more. That's fair. That's fair. I, look, Grand Budapest I, has more charm. I will just say, I and I, and I, I, I certainly do not bring this up for most movies because I think most movies you can tell. I will say, just as someone who likes it as much as I do now and genuinely didn't like it at all the first time, watch it a second time. That's all I gotta yeah. say. If, I, it, if it's I, the I'll same, watch it again at some point. if it's the same, that by all means. But I, I'll just say, in my in my opinion, the second rewatch makes it a lot easier because this one to me was the one that took me the most time trying to figure out what was happening rather than just watching it. Inception, I didn't try to figure it out until the end when I realized it doesn't make any sense, but that's maybe for another episode on Inception at some point. I don't know. Are you are you hating on Inception? I'm not I'm not no I'm not I'm not hating on it myself. I just think I that one still confuses me and I've watched it like maybe five or six times. I, I don't know how many times I've seen it. I really, really like Inception. Um, I like Inception more than Interstellar. That is that is when Hans Zimmer discovered the Foghorns. I'm not a that big Inception true. fan. I, I'm a I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Inception fan, but I, I really really love. I will it. say my complaint for Inception is very similar to your complaint for this one. Okay, where like I feel no emotional attachment to any of them. Really, I like, feel no emotional attachment to anyone except Leo in that mm. movie. 
I, that's true because it's Leo. Yeah. But even though I'm, I, I almost, his, his I almost am not like I'm almost more. Even when I watch, I'm still more invested in the spectacle than the characters. Where when I rewatch Interstellar, I find myself more invested in the characters than the spectacle. I guess we're backwards on that. It seems no, yeah, the spectacle of Interstellar. So it's so legitimately like yeah, I, th- I think it, I think it is, and I think yeah. I think th- those are these two movies are that divisive where. I've seen a lot of people who really like one and not the other. Yeah, based on just what I've seen from just because they're they're I think they're the most comparable of his in terms of the spectacle. I would yeah. Tenet is a whole other Tenet. I think Tenet and Dunkirk are comparable because time. Both of those they deal with time, but they also completely ignore the characters, for better or for worse. I think Dunkirk it works. Tenet it does not. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I. Davis and I have talked about this movie so many times about so many things. I still maintain the score should have won. I'm sorry, but No Time for Caution is too good. Maybe I'll see Grand Budapest Hotel officially. I've listened to the score. I liked it, and I like uh, I like I like Desplat because he did uh, the Imitation Game, which I he really like that score. Also nominated that year. Yes, he got nominated twice. He's very yes. good. He also did. What other movie has he done that I know of? I'm trying to Fantastic think. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, because um, there was a water. There was a beat in Grand Budapest Hotel that sounded like the one of the, apart from Fantastic Mr. Both Fox. Both Wes Anderson like, movies. Yeah, both. Uh, Desplat scores. That yeah. makes that makes a lot of sense. Davis, any final things to add before we wrap up this episode? Because I think it's nearing the end of our Interstellar discussion. We've talked about it so much. Go check out Interstellar. Really? That's all. I, that's all you got. What? Well, what? What is your? Okay, let's go around then. Some favorite things. What is your favorite scene? Uh, probably either when he's when he undocks from the ship to go into the black hole because you have to leave something. Noon's third law. You got to leave something behind. I like that one a lot. Also, like when he gets the messages from his children. Ah. And Josh, despite despite your dislike of the movie, I'm, I'm I don't dislike I, the movie. I'm okay. kidding. Yeah, all jokes. What is your so, favorite scene? I would say my favorite scene, with in line with me loving the spectacle of the movie, is him flying into that black hole. You see that really wide shot of just the, how massive it is, and then all the stuff hitting the ship as he's going in. And he's just talking about the blackness of it. I was like, yeah, that's it. like lightness and flashes of blackness. Yeah. And I also liked, uh, at least in that scene, and that reminds me of something, if I may, that very much is almost showing that Dr. Man was correct, which I, I'm, I'm getting to this point where Dr. Man's whole lecture as they're walking is the fact that survival instinct and Cooper completely loses his marbles in the black hole. Like he's... Like even when he's like, as he's flying into the black hole, he's starting to you can he starts to say complete nonsense. Then when he passes out, he ejects, which is literal suicide at that point, yeah. right? Because you're ejecting into nothingness, which is never a good idea. Yeah. You don't just want to float around in space. But it's because everything's become so nonsensical for him because he's in this thing yeah. that's impossible for a man to comprehend. Yeah, Davis, you mentioned now you get spaghettified as you said. Yes, but in in, yeah. in this, it's more that his brain just gets completely fried by the fact that he's in this thing that he can't comprehend. Not that it actually physically does. Not physically. I think it's just that he I was he trying just, to be scientific about it and he can't comprehend it. I, I, he was that's what I'm, saying. I'm saying it's just something that you cannot physically comprehend, so he kind of loses it for a second. Even and I think I don't think he loses it. I think for a time he I mean when he's in was he's in the, the Tesseract at the bookshelf and he's like he doesn't even really comprehend what any of this is. Like it's only when Tars finally communicates with him that he, he begins to understand. But I mean he's just crying and sobbing, thinking that his daughter can hear him when in reality it's just I don't think it's the thing that he himself can comprehend without Tars. That's how I took it because he's losing it the whole time. I don't know. I don't really agree with that. I don't know. I think I think I think it it, it plays into very much what Doctor Man was talking about earlier with the survival instinct because his his only focus is on seeing his daughter in the bookshelf, not even realizing what the heck he's in and what the heck's going on there. I don't know. That's how I that's how I took it. But that that scene I, I thought was really cool, and I just liked the whole the fact that Doctor Man was he was not crazy as much as he was detached. 
because he was used very much being the robot about it like the rest of them. While Cooper was like, that's not going to fly, and then, of course, it all ends up. Well, my favorite scene, got to be no time for caution, especially when it's the it's not possible, and he says it's necessary, and the music mm. just starts blaring. What are you doing? I'm docking. It's so it's so good. It's so good. And then and then just the whole spin part and the fact that, like, they it genuinely should not work. Like, it's not... Case is not saying it because he doesn't think it's going to work. He probably did a statistical, you know, run through and realized it's not going to work, but it does because Cooper is Cooper, which they established that throughout, which I also like. A lot of the scenes establish that he is, in fact, that dude in terms of flying stuff. Davis, you've me and you have talked about the music more. I don't know if we could ask you. Well, you said your favorite piece was the Cornfield Chase yes. music. Yes. Davis, what about yours? You got a favorite? No Time for Caution. Yeah. I mean, that's the I think most people answer. would say No Time for Caution. Oddly enough, the most popular one of the movie, I believe, is Stay. S-T-A-Y actually. is. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. S-T-A-Y yeah. is the, is the most popular. Stay, Corn- Cornfield Chase is second. No Time for Caution actually is third by a wide margin based on Interesting. Spotify listens, which time is still the top one that Hans Zimmer has from Inception because that's where I think he became very famous. Yeah. That Even though he sh- I don't think he should be as famous for that movie as he is because he's done so many others, but that movie yeah. was kind of his mainstream sort of. That one kind of blew him up, and then he, exactly. he lost the Oscar for that. Who do you lose it to in that? Uh, that Reznor and Ross for The Social Network. Which That's I, I right. Ah, uh, I don't know if I agree That's with that. That's one, one of my favorite scores ever. So. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little biased for, for Hans Zimmer and all of his movies. I'm still saying really? The Last Samurai, his best score. But I have I'll have to check out. Last I've Samurai. only been able to convince myself of that so far. Davis is still the jury's still out. Davis, watch it again. I'm not as big on soundtracks as you. Uh, I don't even I, notice them half I the time. I am in a soundtracks class. Maybe, maybe that. Yeah. I'm, I, maybe I, there's that's. They fair. just they just add to it, but I'm not. I don't like songs. Don't stick out of my head. There are some movies where the soundtrack just it just completely blows me out of the water. Um, I I will continue to plug La La Land wherever I can. That is my favorite score of all time. My favorite soundtrack of all time has my favorite piece of music ever recorded. Whoa! Ever. Very high praise. Very and high praise. Davis has only seen the first half, so he hasn't yeah. reached that part. Uh, I've not seen it either so. at, in any capacity. It's on Hulu. Well, we we should watch it before before it goes down because I'm sure it'll get changed in like last a second. ten minutes of that movie are the most perfect film has ever gotten. Whoa! So. Very high praise indeed. Yes. So, uh, th- I will defend that. Entirely, but um, I would say there are some movies where the the music just sticks out so so drastically, and Hans Zimmer is very good about doing that. I think Lion King does it really well. Interstellar does it really well. Gladiator. Gladiator does it really well. Dune, as we Dune as we, does it phenomenally. Which I I, I'm, I will say I saw it in the theaters this past Friday. Yeah. The second watch noticed the music a lot more than yeah. I did in the in the first run because of course the first twenty minutes I'm trying to figure out what's happening because I'm exactly. like right, there's who's the emperor and all this envoy and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that's any other final thoughts to add from anybody on this movie, Davis? Nope. Any, anything at all? You've already asked my final thoughts a few times. That's true. Well, can we keep going back in circles? What can I say? It's, I don't know. I was going to make some interstellar joke about something as time is a flat circle, but that's totally unrelated to the movie. Time's so linear. Except when, I was about to say, yeah, because he, is it? Yeah, you can't I, uh, go back. Oh, well, in certain movies you can. It depends. It depends on the movie, I suppose. I'm talking about I mean, real life here, Alex. Hey, hey, Davis, we have not. We have I'm not. not discover- it's not a hot tub time machine. We've not discovered it. We've not discovered that yet, have we? Hey, I'm open to it. Are you? How would you go back in time? Time moves forward. How would you go back? So what I would do is I would uh-huh. get a bunch in of my friends tub. together and I would invent new rules for time travel. Oh, this is called yeah. Avengers Endgame, and then I just randomly make it up as I go. Yeah. And it'll totally work. There you go. You think it'll work? Yeah, I think so. Um, Josh, you any- You would need to make 22 other movies first, though. 
if That's you were true. planning on doing that and mm. making it actually work. Very unfortunate. So good I don't, luck with that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. I can make... Yeah, no, I can't do that. No. Definitely not. Um, any final thoughts on this movie or movies in general before we head out for this episode? Um, I think I'm good. I do not hate this movie at all. I think it's a very good movie, contrary to popular I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we believe you on that one. But we thank you all for listening to this episode as we discussed Interstellar, the movie that Davis and I have talked about, I think from the initial episode of, of Through the Lens that we did way back in uh, sophomore year at the beginning. And now here we are finally talking about it with Josh Wilbur joining us yet again after watching Dune last week, we watched Interstellar this week, and next week we'll be watching the amazing Spider-Man movies, which will probably be one of the more painful experiences we've had to go through so far. Won't be worse than QB Halloween for those of you who listen to us talk about that one, but it might not be as much fun as we hope as we continue to talk about all the Spider-Man movies leading up to Spider-Man No Way Home. But again, we thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all episodes at Through the Lens. Look for the camera logo on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can follow us at Through the Lens Weagle on Instagram for any updates on episodes that we are covering, episodes we may begin to cover, and just movie discussion in general. Go check out WGLFM.com for all album review articles, movie review articles. Davis wrote a companion piece on Dune last week. He'll be writing one on Interstellar this week. And just follow WEGL underscore AU on Instagram for all Weagle updates on events and songs, shows, and more. Again, we thank you for joining us. We will see you all next week. This has been Alex, Josh, and Davis on Through the Lens.